never worried that you might be the cool kid You wear the latest fashions on top of all the trends Or have you ever worried you were too much in the mainstream Always so generic, more normal than your friends Well, we've devised a test to put to rest your fears There's no need to panic if you're letting us your ears Tonight you can't sleep easy after all that you've heard Cause if you like the show, then you're probably a nerd Oh, Ken, it's Ken, it's all episode of the It's Canon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about everything pop culture, the podcast where we talk about all things video games, all things comic books, all things toys, all things movies, all things TV shows, all things books, all things Lego, all things Muppets, all things Stadia, all things tech, anything and everything, and the best part of all is that it's all in canon. As always, we're your hosts, I'm Boris, and this week I am joined by Phil. Hey yo, how's it going? Boris, how are you doing? I'm doing good, I'm doing very good. I'm tired, but I'm surviving, I've had a good week, you know, and here we are talking about all the fun stuff that we love to talk about. Yep, the Geek Therapy session is on, please take a seat on the couch. Uh, try to uh, alleviate any stresses or distractions that you may have so that we can talk about shit that absolutely means nothing to most people, but we get excited about it. Exactly. So on this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the possibility of theaters reopening. We're going to be talking about Disney Star Service, since we didn't talk about that last week. We're going to be talking about semiconductors and the shortage and the possibility of there being a resolution, hopefully. And then we're going to be giving you a quick update on a couple older stories like GameStop, like CD Projekt Red. Um, And we're going to really focus on a lot of video games today. We're going to be talking about Stadia. We're going to be talking about Bioware and what the hell is happening with these companies. But... We're going to do the It's Canon twist on it, and while we report our news, while we give you our thoughts, we're going to be giving you, you know, kind of the other side of the story, because I think that a bigger conversation that needs to be had is the optics of how people cover these stories that lead to bigger negative reception. Yeah, yeah. I know myself being in that community, it it gets frustrating sometimes. It really does. Yep. Well, Phil, like when I used to work at BlackBerry, think how I felt, you know? It was the constant. Mm-hmm. It was just the constant. Yep. It gets really tiring really fast. And it's not to say that people's issues aren't justified. But, you know, when it's compounded, when it's everything you hear about, when it's literally every article um, no matter wh- how good or bad your company is doing, when every article, everything in the media is negative, you know, it just takes a toll on you, takes a toll on your work, and then it's this vicious cycle. So, yeah, we're going to be talking a little bit about that. You know, we do still plan to have a Stadia and kind of a State of Geek special, but 
I feel like this is a perfect time to have this conversation just because of some of the news that's been coming out over the past week or so. Yeah, it's been a heavy news cycle, especially for the past, I, I, I would say for the past month, it's been really feeling like as far as media reports and whatnot go about Stadia, it really seems that there's a target on their back or an agenda to be played out with the angle of some of these articles, but there's also been some good news come out of it as a, as a result. So yep. to be balanced, you know, we'll, we'll present both sides of the story. That's for sure. Exactly. So how's, how's your week? So before we start, no Tyler again, he's been super <laughs> busy. Um, I know some people have asked, yes, Tyler is still around. He's just been busy. Yep. Sometimes, you know, we have to prioritize real paying jobs and real life over a podcast that we have fun with. Um, so not to say that this isn't a job and that this won't be a job one day, but you know, sometimes we have to focus on paying the bills. So hopefully we'll have Tyler back next week or the week after. Uh, but uh, yeah. I'm sure he sends his regards. Yeah. You know what? We, we do chat with him <laughs> just so people know we do, we do talk sometimes and yeah he's just really busy and i hope that he gets through it all in one piece which i know he will and joins us back on the show as soon as he can but until then we're gonna have to make do everybody and uh hope that uh he gets gets uh his stuff sorted soon yep all right so phil what's going on in the life of phil how's the past week been for you <laughs> well if there was a time where I was telling you I was doing a lot of TV, it's again this week. But as well, there's been a lot of PS5 gaming. So I can't lie. I don't even chart that that kind of stuff anymore. Um, so, yeah, you've probably seen my games list on the PS5 explode this week. And I'm doing a lot of, trying a lot of different things and a lot of the back catalog. And I finally got like FIFA 21 to upgrade to the PS5 version. I don't know yeah. why it kept downloading the PS4 version onto the 5. So, you know, I finally got a resolution of that last night at about 1 a.m. So I just let it download overnight and just was actually just playing some of that. So kind of guiltily sneaking in a match or two. But yeah, Resident Alien, Snowpiercer. WandaVision, and The Muppet Show. I've been watching episodes of that because something that you did to me was encourage me to go back into Halt and Catch something Fire. Something that I did? Oh, Boris, yes. Yes, yes, yes you, Boris. You had, because we had mentioned, I had mentioned that I enjoyed the first season of that show, and the second season started to lose me a little bit, and I stopped, and this was like last year. And you brought it up, or I brought it up, and you were so excited about how great of a show it was, and it is. So I binge-watched all remaining three episodes, or three seasons. Yep. And that was a, that. sometimes that show necessitates maybe a little bit of Muppet Show after, <laughs> just to clear my head. I know, right? Like, it's because, crazy. Like, you know, kind of what we talked about, like, you know, Phil, you're not allowed to watch TV on your own, but this is a perfect example of, like, you know, sometimes you got to balance it out, right? Like, I don't know how some people yeah. only watch, like, true crime or, you know, s stuff that's really, really powerful that can impact them um, and j only stick to that. Like, it's, it's, it can be a lot. It can be a lot. But, yeah, uh, All to Catch I, I Fire definitely... is one of those shows that just, like, 
you know, it can, it's a kick to the stomach, and then when you're down, it kicks you again sometimes. Yeah, season four, I, I think from about the midpoint on of season four, is definitely an emotionally charged and challenging set of episodes. Oh, yeah. And each one had a different flavor of pain <laughs> to it, which I thought was was very interesting and and it was compelling tv for sure i'm not trying to say anything bad about it and and that hurt that you feel in that last half of the season is one that's needed right that's the whole point of the show is there's a heavy bit of closure in there and i i thought it was most interesting when i told you how i felt the show ended and seeing that your reaction to it was a little bit different than mine yeah and I was incredibly optimistic about the end. And I you felt that it was a little more bleak, which I yeah. which isn't wrong. Like it, it is true. It's open to interpretation. Yeah. But that's one thing I, I loved could about see... the show is that you know it, there is a lot of openness to the ending. So, you know, I guess we see how morbid and how we see life. So clearly you're a much more optimistic person than I am. Yeah, I, I got the feeling after our chat that I'm a much more glasses half full kind of guy. But that yeah. being said, you know, like one of the things that I thought was really good, I was I was actually thinking about this a lot because of our discussion. And something that I kind of just determined, because what happens is, you know, an event happens in the show and then you see the characters move on with their parts of life. And they're obviously missing some other components because of the way the show goes, but I liked how the older guy, boss, he gets to move on into retirement. So I deem that as a check mark as happy. I see Donna and Cam continuing on the spirit of the thing that drew them together. Yeah. And I saw Joe basically determine that he didn't want to be a part of that anymore and that he was using people. And it cost somebody their life. And yeah. I think that that was a perfect ending for Joe because he's now in an academic role where he's not doing, he's not feeding into that that devastating monster that he is. So that's where I saw the optimism. That's where I saw the good out of it was just that everybody found a corner and figured out how to play well together or just disengage. Yeah. Which See, I think overall was healthy that's for where all. I took it is they disengaged, right? So for me, that was where the bleakness came from. Um, but one thing I really liked about the show in general is that it kind of shows you that other side of Silicon Valley, that darker side of Silicon mm -hmm. Valley, and it it's a side that isn't really explored too much. Like everyone sees Google, everyone sees Facebook, everyone sees like you know the TV show Silicon Valley, where it's all happy-go-lucky and tech and this and that, and you know. But you know, Silicon Valley is a very interesting town to visit to work in. I've done, I, I can't even tell you how many hours of work I put into um, you know meeting clients and working with them and doing consulting in Silicon Valley. And there's something to be said about that town. Like, there's for sure more than meets the eye sometimes. And I'm not trying to be controversial. It's just the reality. You know, the long hours, yes. the loneliness, the time apart from the family, the constant work, the never being able to really 
communicate from work and disconnect, I should say. Discommunicate's not mm-hmm. a word. Disconnect from work. You know, <laughs> all of that can really take a toll on a person, right? And I find that this is the first show that revolves tech that has actually done that and has actually shown that human side of stuff where you know people see us as nerds and geeks and these it people um no matter what you do you're an it person but it kind of shows that human side that you know we are also humans and it does take a Mm -hmm. huge toll on me like i've you know you know me you've, you've known me for 12 years 13 years um it takes a toll on you sometimes right like it it's hard it's yeah. very hard to be in the tech industry. You you know this as well. Yep, it is. And and I do like that about the show. Um, but I also like that the failures uh, experienced during it, like the competition was shown. And that's why these people have to drive themselves. And really, like when you look at Joe and Gordon's company, like Comet, I thought that it was interesting that Joe just shut it down after Yahoo did its thing. And I think we all thought that there's like this play when the ideas were going around that maybe this is a a, a a fictional beginning story for one of those services. And then it was it was a little bit jarring that it just stopped. And the human toll and ultimately what stopped that company was the fact that they had to take time off to grieve. Yeah. And that's how sensitive everything was. And that that was some of the stuff that I was processing about how they lost the jump on on an emerging market because they had to take a pause in their lives. But it was a very important pause, and it was worth it because it was a human being. And that's that's the kind of stuff that we lose, right? When you're in tech or in any dedicated career where it requires a large investment of your time, energy, and whatnot, it comes at a cost, whether it be that company, if you disengage or whether it be your own personal life or that type of thing, there's always a balance that has to be struck. Yeah. And the hope is, is that you work for an employer that values um, life, life balance, but it's not always easy in tech. It's not always the thing that, that jumps out at you as far as company values that they present. They, they, there's always crunch. We talk about it on here all the time with video game companies and whatnot. And, and, some of the the pressures that go on these teams for years at a time, yeah, under the guise of trunch, uh, a crunch, and not even you know observing labor code or or labor laws as far as overtime pay and things like that for the dedication of the employee, uh, and that's something that we we take a great deal of pride in in trying to expose or you know at least discuss as far as you know adjusting our expectations on those products because we're also the consumers are the beneficiaries of some of that when it comes to the games industry and whatnot. Yeah. And unfortunately it's kind of like, you know, um, and I'm not saying anything against anyone in particular because even I am a consumer, right? Um, I just Mm -hmm. so happen to work in that industry, but you know, sometimes I, I feel, and this is kind of one of the conversations I want to have later on the show. And that is, you know, setting your expectations as a consumer. I think that, you know, sometimes our expectations and kind of our, our our wanting of something overtakes the fact and overpowers the fact that we have to remember that these are companies and behind all these companies are human beings. So, you yep. know, we're the ones who put an enormous amount of pressure to people. And I'm not saying it's not warranted. Like, you know, if you want, if you want me 
to give my hard-earned money to you, the company. You know, you, you better give me something that works, that's on time, that I that is something I like, you know? So, yeah. there's a lot of moving parts. And that's kind of one of the things about this show that I want to talk about more. It's what are those moving parts? You know, let's, as a community, as a freaking species, set our expectations right. You know, let's have companies <laughs> that tell the truth. Let's have companies that, you know, don't bullshit you. And let's also have companies that can say, I'm sorry, mea culpa, you know? And then as yeah. consumers, have set our expectations straight um, and, 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 and have set our, our expectations back down to reality. Um, so those yeah, are the types of Proportional response. Exactly. <laughs> Instead of internet geek rage. <laughs> it's, exactly. It's really, it's, really it, like, I, I think the internet makes things a lot worse for allowing people to overreact immediately onto a platform and gain attention from that. Yeah. Like it, it's just the nature of the beast. I'm not saying that people aren't justified in their reaction sometimes. I'm just saying it, it tends to get a little bit out of hand with the pylons as we as we've discussed that's becoming a major theme for us. Yeah. Is and trying not to participate in the pylon. Yeah, like can you imagine Phil like you know, let's think back to history, and I know I bring this example up all the time, so I'm going to bring up a new example. The example I bring up all the time is Sony Microsoft, when they announced that they're making video game system, there was a lot of criticism, and there was barely an internet back then, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Can you imagine the backlash and the heat that Nintendo would have gotten if they had released the Virtual Boy and the internet was a thing the way that it is today? Oh, yeah. But it, it's even because you look at Sony and Microsoft and they're not game companies. So they, we now think of them as game companies. Exactly. But back then they weren't. And that's exactly what you're bringing up. And the same thing with Nintendo and maybe one of its failures, like you say, the Virtual Boy. But even, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll use Lego even. Look at the fact that they went from making wood toys to drastically going to the system-based plastic. Right. If the internet existed back then, people would be outraged because they're like, where's my wooden duck? Yeah. Right. And the pressure would be on. And now, you know, in this day and age, you get journalists basically saying, hey, look, let's write a story about this from the point of view. Of let's try and get Lego to go back to making wood toys. <laughs> oh, it's, 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 a, it's just a really big pylon. Yeah. And to, <laughs> on top of it, all that. Now it's, let me make an article with a sensationalized headline that will get clicks. Well, that's the world we live in, isn't it? Clickbait. <laughs> it's all clickbait. It's literally all clickbait. Yeah. Like, and sometimes you read the headline and it has nothing to do with the article itself. You know, it's like this doom yeah. and gloom headline, but it's saying, this is the worst case scenario. You know, it's, it's, it's. Yeah. And that's the special that, you know, Tyler and myself and you have been talking about. You know, it's it's the responsibility in the media. And we're going to focus, obviously, on the tech media, right? Yeah. Well, it, it, the word we want to use is journalism. But unfortunately, that's not what's being demonstrated. Exactly. Right? And that's that's the problem is... is sorting through your sources or your information to actually qualify what's being reported and what's being speculated, right? 
and a lot of these pieces put a speculative title on for clickbait. And then sometimes what they actually report on is different or they don't even report on it properly. They don't even do the due diligence of investigation or anything, right? So it only goes on to support their opinion. That's exactly. what they build the article to. So they either use speculative, you know, sources or they downright make stuff up and hope that nobody figures it out. <laughs> or exactly. Or they'll make up something so small that no one really catches it. And it's not that they're not catching it. It's that, you know, it's one of those things, I think, and it's uh, and, and kind of human psyche now where if I don't agree with your thesis as a journalist, I'm no matter what, you're an asshole and we're on polar opposite ends now, right? It's it's yeah. no one takes a look at an issue and kind of sees just because you don't agree with it doesn't mean it's not true. You know, there is yeah. val you know, it is a valid thing, but it's not my cup of tea. You know, and I think that's also part of it so that's why people have like these extreme views right now and it's kind of why like expanding just from the geek world you know why people are so polarized right now because it's either i support you or i don't and if i don't you're lying yeah yeah i wonder where we get that from couldn't yeah, be from know, politics right? Exactly. <laughs> well, I, I think it's two things, you know, it's the political atmosphere that's obviously seeping through into other areas, but it's also a bit, I think it's gotten worse because of the pandemic, or maybe I've just become more sensitive to it. But I think God. people being stuck at home tend to vent out or act out a little bit, whether it's just a personal thing or a journalistic thing or whatever it is. I just think there's a lot of isolation and frustration with the lack of the, with the big change in the world in this past year, you know, yeah. I can only imagine certain journalists and whatnot, not being able to travel, having to do everything by remote. If they do anything at all, it's, it's become a weird place. The, the internet and the world in general for a lot of information gathering. So I'm not trying to make excuses, but I'm just trying to understand, I guess. And just thinking out loud. That's exactly it. Right. There's a lot of sides to it. And, and I don't know. I don't know. Like, we're both right, and this is something that, like, the three of us wanted to kind of venture into more. And I would say this is kind of like uh, a our 2021 masterpiece at some point. It's going to be kind of, and I'm not mm -hmm. going to say getting to the root and figuring out and having a solution. It's talking about this in a forum with our listeners um, who will hopefully kind of listen to what we're saying take a look at the inside of themselves and kind of saying, okay, maybe I need to change a little bit. Or they can just tell yep. us to fuck off. Who knows? Ah, I'm, I'm tempted to just tell you to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid. All right, We got so, some humor in the house. <laughs> so exactly. what, what's your week been like, Boris? Man, my what have you been, been doing? Um, Tons of work. Uh, Last the week that ended was busy, but the week that's coming up is just going to be completely insane. So I'm kind of dreading this week. Um, mm -hmm. What else? I've been actually I've watched quite a bit of TV at night. Uh, I'm just having a hard time sleeping again, so I've been resorting to a lot of TV at night. 
Um, what have I been watching? I've been watching... I watched all three seasons of The Sinner. That's the Brian Pullman show, where it's kind of like a detective and it's an anthology-type series. Um, every season has a new case, new characters. Uh, the first season was Jessica Biel. She serves as executive producer. Great show. Really good show. Uh, finished that in like four, five days, I think. Not even. Woof. Yeah. That's a lot of TV. Well, it's only eight eight episodes a season. Not to say that it's not a lot, but, you know. Yeah. Um, what else have I watched? Still, I started watching that uh, that new show on Netflix that came out. That is called Guinea in Georgia. So this show is interesting. The way that it was kind of promoted was kind of like that happy-go-lucky story where, you know, girl at age 15 has child, and it's that rambunctious Gilmore Girls-like adventures, right? And, yeah, it has <laughs> some of that. It's also very much like Degrassi because they do have a lot of uh, real issues that real teens mm. deal with. Um, and it also has this, like, bigger story. It's, it, it, there's a lot going on. Um, I don't know exactly what I think of the show just yet. It might be a little too too campy, too serious at the same time, if that's humanly possible to mm. be both things at once. Uh, but, yeah. It, it, it's, so I've been watching that. Obviously, Snowpiercer. Um, obviously, WandaVision. Can't wait for the finale this week. Uh, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think we'll need to uh, start rewatching and taking our notes, because in the next week or two, we're doing our special. Uh, so, yep. yeah. It's just I had up. this I had this fear yesterday. I was I was sitting here, I did all my work all day and and then I decided, okay, I need to watch WandaVision. I avoided all social media and everything just in case. It's just a I it's just a precaution. So I get down, I start the episode and I had this fear. Is this the last episode? Right? Because I'm like eight episodes, nine episodes, nine seems like a weird number. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, this is just weird. And then it ended. And I'm like, well, obviously there's another episode. So, phew. Um, Otherwise, worst ending ever. And uh, then it dawned on me that Justice League is coming out the same week that they released Falcon Winter Soldier. Yep. (laughs) So I'm like, this war is getting really dirty here. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of strategy happening where I'm like, okay, you guys go do this now. We're gonna be just entertained on our end. Exactly, <laughs> and that's the thing. We like, win. I go on the internet and I see this like um, this weird, uh, uh, what's it called? Like this whole thing about us versus them, Marvel versus DC. Yeah, this division, like, right? Let's just enjoy this stuff. You can be a fan yeah. of both. You don't have to hate one if you like one. It's so weird. Yeah. Like wrestling fans are the worst at this right now, right now with AEW and WWE. It's like, guys, this is the first time yeah. in 20 years that you've had a choice of a major wrestling company to follow. You don't have to hate the other guys. If you do, cool. But you don't have to go on the internet and tell everyone why you hate them. Um, it's just, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't understand division and stuff like that. It's like, it's like in the gaming world, 
the PlayStation versus Xbox war, right? And then you have yep. PC gamers on the side just laughing at everyone. Yeah, and then there's like three guys playing Stadia. <laughs> I kid, you and I two kid. others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me and two others. No, it is, it is true. It is true. And this is one of those things. And I was even thinking this this week about the amount of stuff that I watch that's all based out of comic books, whether I know it or not, right? I I have to think in the past few years, I think comic books are responsible for more content than people even realized. Like mm-hmm. just alien... Uh, 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 Alien, uh, 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 the one with Alan Tudyk. Resident um, Alien? Resident Alien and whatnot. Like, I wouldn't ever think that these are comic books, and they are. Yep. And, yeah, it's just amazing to me that, that there's so much variety of topics and ideas that come from all these great content creators, and I'm glad that that media is getting some recognition. I wish that I got more as far as its original source material, but, Yeah. It's interesting. You don't have to hate it. You just have to enjoy it. Like you just have to, you know, go to the stuff you like or you don't like. Just you don't yep. need to hate on what you don't like. Exactly. It can it's be so DC. Weird. It can be Marvel. It can be Dark Horse. It can be anything. It can be any or, company. It could be an independent. Yeah, and I'm not doesn't, saying doesn't mean, people can't hate stuff. It's your choice. Whatever. Just you don't have to actively yell at the top of the hills that you hate X Y Z because of ABC reasons. Right? It's like just. Uh, just let people and the other yep. thing is don't shit on someone because they like something every it, everything is yep. everyone's opinion like just let people enjoy things yep exactly it's there to be consumed consume it if you All don't right. like it don't so need think to make them post before <laughs> we move to our news I think that uh, we should talk about our midweek episode because we are having a midweek episode so phil tell our listeners what the hell is going on all right so as as you should probably be and i will put this disclaimer on the show too these people this this guy carl we had him on on the mandalorian uh season two episode one or the, the first episode and he and he he loves star wars he's a big star wars geek and he happens to run a beer company which we mentioned it's called Red Thread Brewing, and it's based out of the, the town I grew up in and live in. And um, yeah, Carl does an awful lot of work in the community and with his craft beer. And we're going to have a special discussing that craft beer and that end of things. Because I think one thing that nerd culture, geek culture, and pop culture have all in common is that we do like beverages sometimes. Oh. And these beverages, he he's obviously... Um, when you look at his product line, he aims them at sporting events and lifestyle things. So he's he loves his mountain biking and skiing and soccer, and he's integrated a lot of his brands into those things. And we're going to discuss that. We're gonna we're gonna have a nice sit down and uh, and talk about what makes his beer, his craft beer, special, different from the other ones that you're gonna have, unique, like very distinctly Canadian. And uh, yeah, it's gonna be a good time. So. Can't wait to sit down and get that recorded so we can have that out as soon as possible. Yep. All right, so let's talk about reopenings and COVID reopenings. If you live in Ontario, Canada, and you're not in 
Peel, Mississauga, Brampton, or Toronto, chances are you're going to start seeing your town start opening up a little bit. Um, and in other places in the world, you're going to start seeing things open up. But one of the industries that kind of took a lot of headlines was the theater movie going experience um so over the past week there's been a lot of uh news coming out that for example in new york state new york city specifically um movie theaters are going to start opening their governor andrew cuomo announced this week that cinemas in the new york city will be able to open again at a limited capacity beginning march Fifth, uh, so theaters can only accept 25% capacity um, and cap it at 50 people per screen. Everyone must wear a mask and follow other health and safety protocols as part of the directive um, according to deadline. Also, in the UK, we are seeing uh, that drive-in movie theaters will be allowed to open April 12th. Uh, we will also be seeing the casual reopening of movie theaters um across that country uh and then even here let's let's talk about some local news while movie theaters aren't specifically reopening drive-in theaters are reopening in the gta so there's one in oakville there's one new market and they can start accepting people march the 5th again there's obviously protocols so you can't get out of the car and walk around run around you have to kind of stay in your car but we are starting to see the casual reopening of certain businesses now i don't want to get into a should they reopen yeah um, you know there's political reasons why they might be opening there's political reasons why they may still be closed there's obviously still a pandemic it's still around yeah the rollout of the vaccine is starting but there's still stuff happening people are still sadly passing away from this um so i don't want to get into the should they i just want to talk about the effect in terms of you know what we're going to be seeing in regards of what we talk phil yeah, and the geek sphere, the movies, the um, the box office. It's it's a big, the big driver, right? It it obviously is something that we focus a lot on. I yeah, we'll stay away from the morality of it. I think it's interesting that these theaters are opening back up. I'm curious to see people's appetite for going into that environment. I believe we've coined a phrase, dank and moist, um, as far as you know the quality of the experience, but. That being said, I, 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 I myself am tempted at some point. I don't know when my line will be, but it would be nice to go see a bloody movie on a big screen. Like it, it really would be nice to get out of my house, right? So I get that this the that that desire exists in people, and I'm not going to fault them for it. It's it's an experience that's we've not been able to have. It's the same type of experience of going to a concert which I know that there's a lot of work going on in that end of things where they're talking about how they go forward with these types of events in this world and, you know, what it looks like after a vaccine and what kind of criteria may, might they be requesting, all that kind of stuff. It's it's good to see the industry. I hope it survives. I hope AMC theaters and, and everything that, that they've been doing these past few months in order for, to ensure their survival works out and I, i'm curious to know 
what the how the industry has changed through all this because i do know that if i'm given a choice of being able to watch it at home or go to the theater maybe there's a a movie or two where i go to the theater in the course of a year but maybe i'm consuming most other media if it's a simultaneous release i'm going to consume it at home because maybe i qualify that as either a chance or something that i want to have on my stereo my screen that type of thing that's going to be the bigger play to me is is how it how it reconciles financially for these production companies yeah where they maybe there's a point at which they say we don't need big theater releases anymore or we're only doing special runs in theaters and it completely changes the consumption idea of what it is movies like what role movies play in our in our world now yep and i think that you bring up a very interesting point because if a you know if a studio sees that they're not technically making theatrical releases what will the future budgets look like we talked about this before mm-hmm. but here's a twist on that you know if a studio decides to make a limited release in cinema um make it more of an event can yeah. and will these companies along with the movie theaters charge more because it now is a limited time event. I think that that's an inevitability. I think we've already seen the movie theater industry move in that direction, especially here in Ontario. And I can't imagine that it's different here than everywhere else. Um, When you're looking at these VIP theaters, right? Dedicated seating, like a seating organization, food being consumed, tables, love seats um this whole experience because i know that when i take advantage of that there there are times where i do enjoy that because it it eliminates the randomness of the theater going experience which can give me anxiety so this this calms down that experience and it also comes at a premium price tag i can see that premium price tag becoming an even higher buy-in as the scarcity increases, right? Because as we see, you introduce scarcity into any market and <laughs> the price goes up, right? Yep. Like look at PlayStation 5s, you put in a holiday in scarcity, the prices are doubling and tripling. Well, it's the same thing in any market, right? We're going to be talking about this very shortly with semiconductors and how this is going to affect, in my opinion, affect the pricing of all of electronics in 2021, possibly 2022, if we don't figure out a solution. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, you're right. Um, You know, I think that it'll be also interesting to kind of see now that there's, you know, I think a lot of studios and cinemas are now kind of accepted the simulcast, the simul release, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and whether they go the Disney route of having the special access where you have to pay extra or you do the HBO Max where you get it regardless. Um, you know, I would love to do a deeper dive and deeper look into the numbers because now that theaters are reopening, you know, we have a movie like Tom and Jerry that was released that is a big family movie and I would love to see kind of like where people are watching that. Because, and Tom and Jerry might not be the movie for this, because we're still in the middle of reopenings, 
Like we're, we're like things are just starting to reopen. So I I can't see too many families wanting to take like four or five people out yeah. into a theater. But um, you know, it would be interesting to kind of see how families are going to be consuming movies. Will they do they still see it as a as a night out, as an afternoon out, I should say? Um, or you know, do they want to do this in the comfort of their home? And how is this going to affect the movie-going experience as a family? Are we going to be seeing more VIP-like theaters? Um, or are we going to be, you know, it, there's a lot that can change. And it would be interesting to kind of track how certain movies do, um, you know, throughout the year. Yeah. Yeah, I see the family segment. I, I see, like, a strategy with Tom and Jerry being really popular because you want to consume that type of film at home, keep the kids entertained and still be complying with all the rules that exist in this, you know, pandemic. But I think going forward, I think both can coexist. If you look at the situation, like something like, well, okay, during uh, daytime on weekends and, and other days, you can have your matinee, your afternoon matinee, where you have parents maybe taking their kids or uh, an adult taking kids to a movie theater, being able to charge a more accepted price and not having to provide maybe some of those bonuses, right? Where they say, oh, the kids aren't going to be eating when they're here. They're, you know, be on popcorn, that type of thing. The kids, they don't need meals per se. They don't need all these other things. They're coming for the movie. And then in the evening, they take that same theater and they do the the VIP thing and they do the drinks served to your, to your seat and the food and all that kind of stuff. I, I, and upping the price, right. And, and having the adults happily pay for their discreet viewing pleasure and watching the adult movies. I think the strategy by movie theaters or production companies, it will be interesting to see what strategies they do adopt and obviously the successes and the failures are going to determine those strategies. I don't know when we're going to get real metrics. I don't know. It, it, it's going to take a lot of people throwing a lot of transparency at things. It's really, I think, the big observation is going to be to see how these companies navigate it. If they continue to go on with simultaneous release, or do they switch back to movie theaters? How do they restructure these contracts? The and it's going to take years well, for that. But these companies are going to be seeing results right away. They're going to have to make a decision mm -hmm. in, in as things happen almost in real time. When we get these numbers, totally different. But, you know, we'll hopefully be able to track kind of what these companies are doing, what they're thinking via their announcements. So it's for sure something that we're going to be following over the next few weeks months possibly months. longer so yeah um so so that's kind of where we're at where theaters supply and demand is a hell of a thing as phil just mentioned uh right now we talked about this a few months ago but it seems to be getting a lot more mainstream attention and i want to talk about this because if you are looking to buy electronics maybe it's time and you figured that 2021 is going to be the year to upgrade your tv you might want to act faster <laughs> and you might want to shop around a little more because, as we talked about, there is a semiconductor shortage around the world with Taiwan and Asia being the ultimate bottleneck. So 
because of many reasons. Yeah. Because of many, many reasons. Uh, from COVID to storms to political reasons, there's a shortage. And I don't know if people know this, but every electronic device, everything, uses a semiconductor in some shape, way, or form. Computers, electronics, the IoT world, and even cars use semiconductors. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, people put up a lot of warning signs when we were putting computers in cars for this very reason. Um, so there is a shortage. This yep. shortage could be a lot bigger than people think. I think the reality is starting to set. And last night, um, the United States president, President Biden, uh, he signed an executive order launching a 100-day review of the semiconductor supply chain to address the shortage. Um, the inevitable goal is to increase U.S. domestic supply uh, of semiconductors. Um, so what this means, it could mean buying in bulk, buying what's left in the world. It could mean, you know, um, forcing companies to make them. Uh, you know, it could mean a lot of things. But there's a 100-day review going on right now. Um, but, you know, uh, this this was, I, I you know, uh, championed by the automakers, so GM, Ford, Toyota, etc. They're the ones who really wanted to get this on uh, on the president's um, desk. And, you know, now we yeah. have to see the bigger. So again, we've been focused on car manufacturers, but like I said, it's in every electronic device. So supply and demand. You know, I can see because. Your best buy isn't going to be getting as many TVs, as many whatever this year. Well, I can see prices going up. Uh, so, Well, just even look at the world right now, right? We have all the kids basically switching between in-school and homeschool learning, or at least having a component of their learning based at home at points. And that requires things like Chromebooks, which are really great because they're affordable, right? And they work. Those things just bloody work. So the schools have done that, but that means every student needs a Chromebook. Like there's a worldwide shortage of Chromebooks right now. You just can't walk into your Best Buy and find an entry-level Chromebook because they can't make them fast enough. The demand is through the roof. Everybody's trying to get one of these things. And it's just... It's that's going to affect the semi like that's going to affect all this. Yep. And then the cars, you know, obviously the big hitters are going to go to the president and the ones that have the political ears to pull and 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 get inside of. They're the industries that, you know, they employ so many uh, millions of, of Americans and everybody needs a vehicle. So these are the pressure points that are emerging right now. But it's going to filter into every every part, like Boris says, your TVs. Um, you, like, heck, it even influenced my purchase of a PS5 because I look at it and I go, if this semiconductor issue is as prevalent as it's being made out to be, if it, if it becomes as big of an issue as, as they're predicting, Sony are even making noise that it could impact the amount of PS5s that they, they are actually going to be able to bring to market. It's, they may have the capacity to make millions and millions of PS5s and have them here by March or April or June of this year, but 
they can't do it if there's no semiconductors. Yep. <laughs> like, the PlayStation like... boss himself, Jim Ryan, in an interview over the past couple of days, even said that this shortage is partly to blame because of the restock issue. Um, and they're trying really hard to kind of comply and, and move over and move things around, you know, as they can. But let's take a look at this. You know, this is the PlayStation boss talking, and he's talking on behalf of PlayStation the video game division of yeah. Sony. You know that there's a president on the TV side, a president on the IoT side, and they're all having this internal mm -hmm. power struggle of who gets the semiconductors, who gets the supply chain, who gets the the lines in the in the factories to get their shit done. So you yep. know, it's this. This is even inf causing infighting within companies. So you know, it's crazy to actually see that this is happening, um, and maybe this is you know one reason why IoT is uh, kind of a scary thing in the grand scheme of things. Oh yeah, well, IoT is scary no matter what, just because you're talking about that deep integration on all of your devices, right? And and the connectivity needed. There's obviously security and and all kinds of issues around that but now you're talking about a complete dependence on a product chain that it's it's just mind-boggling right it, yeah. it's and here's the thing it, phil it, it's we're advancing. talking about this as geeks for geeks to geeks let's take a look at this in the bigger picture um medical devices mm -hmm. you know <laughs> like this who, who needs those right yeah in the middle of a global <laughs> pandemic who needs medical devices with semiconductors yep like, it's nuts it's 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 there's so crazy. many things like everything in my room aside from the books on the shelf probably has a semiconductor in it. <laughs> like, it is ridiculous it's even to the point where you know i i use like a a, a google device for my bedside clock now you know what I mean? Like it's the complexity and the integration of all these devices. And you're right. Think about all the things that we 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 have to do when there's an emergency, like going to the hospital. All those things are electronic. All of those things have an electronic component to it, whether it be in the reporting, their operation, whatever. And and like computers. Like computers are everywhere. We need them. We need them yep. to do our jobs. When you got to work from home, guess what you need? You need a router. You need an internet service. You need a computer. You need all this stuff. All these things need semiconductors. And with electronics, and they won't last forever. That's the thing. With electronics now built not to last a long time, guess yeah. what? We got to replace them. And that's why this is actually hurting us more than you would expect because a lot of people right now are replacing electronics every three to five years. You know, if you're in that two-year window of having to replace your stuff, honestly, you might want to start doing your research now because I can honestly see prices going up. Yep. And uh, if you're sitting on a mountain of broken electronics, it might be a mountain of gold. Yeah. <laughs> because... I, I, I got to say, like, there's going to be a lot of resourcefulness. I don't know what the recycled semiconductor market is like, if it's even possible or what, but I'm sure if it's not possible, it's going to be possible. <laughs> exactly. It'll be like... There's uh, demand on this stuff. <laughs> you know, every, everyone's had to put out a TV on the curbside, right? An old TV. And, and, and within minutes, people are cutting the cord for its copper. 
Now you're going to see people mm-hmm. just like chopping, chopping up God knows what for the semiconductors. Exactly. It's so hilarious, right? Because I know that in my past job as a, as a field technician, it was hilarious because y- you were in at the beginning of a company and you were in at the end of a company. So you decommission it and you're right. Cause it was like, we just look at the wall of all the copper wiring and then we'd cut it all out and we'd bring it to the copper recycling place and get like cases of beer in yep. exchange. It was beer money. Right. But that was, that was part of the, the cleanup was just scavenging. And I can only imagine what that scavenging is going to be. If that market exists for, for recycling semiconductors, yep. it's going to be cutthroat, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's going to be great. <laughs> and I'm not, I don't mean great as in, happy it's gonna be no. great as in it's gonna be insane all right so disney plus uh, if you live outside of the united states of america you now noticed or hopefully have noticed or will notice after we tell you that disney plus has launched a new channel within itself so outside of national geographic you can now see star we talked about this many times before so people in canada australia new zealand if you sign up to disney plus you also get star and this essentially is your hulu replacement so a lot of the more adult content from from hulu is going to the star channel um one thing you have to do is by default disney plus restricts your um profile Profile. to tv 14 move it up to mature and it'll unlock even more content well you have to when you when you first at least for me on the device that i was watching on i had to you know, I log into my Disney Plus, and then it says, "Hey, do you want to see Star?" Like, first of all, exactly like you say, turn on mature content. Okay. Now to turn it on, you have to put in your password. So then I had to reauthenticate my account. Then it says, "Okay, how do you want to further restrict it? Are there viewers on here that you want to restrict it with?" That type of thing. But man, oh man, it, it's 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 a lot of content. It's a lot of content. It's I'm impressed. I got to say this week I logged in, I completely forgot it was going live and yeah. I got that message and, and then I just immediately went in and th- it's funny cause I, I, I gravitate towards, Hey, look, Bob's burgers is on here. Hey, look, American dad and the family guy. And there's just so much great TV, but I'm like, Oh my goodness, this is hilarious. But there's also like Westerns. There's all, all the 20th century Fox stuff, all the FX stuff. Everything, the Hulu stuff, the everything that you can imagine, it, it's a lot of content. So good on Disney. It's crazy how that service just exponentially got better with just one tab. So isn't it crazy? Good for Sony. The or biggest good complaint for, for, that good people for Disney. Yeah, the biggest complaint that a lot of people had was, "Oh, Disney is the Mandalorian and and WandaVision channel." Well, yeah, for new content maybe, but their back catalog is absolutely insane. If you live mm-hmm. outside of the USA, if you live in the USA, whatever, you have Hulu, you have God knows what. Yeah, you gotta you gotta wind it with Hulu and pay a little bit extra. I will I will give Disney credit that they didn't ding us yet for the expansion. In a few months they will. In a few months they will, but it was really nice that they they're kind of giving you this preview, right? They're like, yeah. hey, you know, when when we do charge for it, it's gonna be worth it. Yeah. Just so you know, right? Yep, they're giving so, you the first taste for free, Phil. 
Yeah, it sounds almost like that crack addict. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to talk about video games? Because I think we're going to round the show off with some video game chat. I've got my video game geek hat on. Actually, no, it's a Beastie Boys hat, but, you know, same difference. Same difference, in fact, it is. All right, so this week we've seen lawsuits, we've seen announcements, we've seen fans fighting, infighting. We've seen a lot of stuff going on within <laughs> the video game industry. Uh, so I think we're going to start with Bioware. So if you played Anthem... You're shit out of luck. Bioware has axed Anthem. (laughs) They say that it's going to stay running in its current state. So for those people who don't know, Anthem was, you know, committed or Bioware was committed to fixing Anthem because Anthem apparently I never played it because I was it's just not my type of game. But it was uh, broken from the start, Phil. I'll let you talk about that yep. in a second. Um, but essentially, you know, Bioware wants to focus on Mass Effect. They want to focus on Dragon Age. So Anthem and Star Wars. is no more. And Star Wars. And so Anthem is no more. So, Phil, talk to me. Let me hear this. How do you feel? <coughs> How was Anthem in day one? What were you promised? Or what did you hear from Bioware as these empty promises and how do you feel now that they basically told you computer says no disappointing like i i i was upset with the game in its original launch state the game was definitely different than the marketing and the promises that they had made and that's a big complaint that i have about the game industry in general i don't know why it's allowed to completely misrepresent a product on a sales pitch and do a complete bait switch like a bait and switch to the consumer and the consumer not seemingly have any rights or anything in in this transaction so i know that there's class action lawsuits that are trying to fight it i don't know that there is any against anthem per se but anthem was guilty of it where there was a lot of hype around this game and then we got it and it wasn't wasn't what we thought it would be that's for sure and then there was like the rumors that it was going to brick your machine because it made PS4s and Xboxes run pretty darn hot. And it 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 just got escalatingly scary as I was playing it, so I stopped. I put the disc in the box and I put it on my shelf. And I looked at you know the resulting information, the 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 please buy BioWare's executives that the commitments that they were making that they're going to fix it that they're going to really roll up their sleeves and get to work on making this thing, make, delivering the product they promised us. And then we just started noticing that most of these executives and team leads started resigning from Bioware, right? So the team was losing steam, like it was losing members. Now, in the press release, Bioware has pointed to COVID-19 being the real catalyst that killed it. They're saying that due to the effects of the pandemic and everyone working from home, it ultimately led to the the demise of the project, which I don't doubt is is truthful. But I I am disappointed as a consumer. Not that I was really like it's been two years, so it's not like that disc is burning a hole in my head. Going, oh my gosh, you need to play this when it gets fixed. It would have been nice though. It would have been nice in the same way that No Man's Sky is a different game 
than the game that they delivered broken on day one. And that developer, Hello Studios, I believe, stuck with it and turned off the internet and just went to work. And I don't understand why Anthem, it took them, or Bioware, it took them a year of posturing to get into a pandemic and then just say, ultimately, the pandemic killed it. Well, you had a full year to get on it. You know what? I just don't don't understand. understand. And I'm just going to jump the gun and bring this conversation up is, so in Phil's words, I'm turning to you now for verification, was it broken on day one? Uh, I th- for me for it you. wasn't. Okay. For me, it 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 played like a game. I just didn't think that the game that they I was playing was the game that they told me they were gonna give me. Yeah. So does that make uh, sense? Yep. Because <laughs> I've heard this just in December. So this is where I'm going with this. Yeah. So for a lot of people, it was broken. And you felt that you were sold a different product than what you were promised. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, it's interesting. The game has issues. It has issues. It was far from perfect. It needed refinement. It needed work. That was my big takeaway. But there was no game-breaking bug. Yeah. There was. It was just in terms of function, in terms of some of the priority sequencing that they were doing, in terms of the world, in terms of the way that some of the mechanics worked, they all felt very unfinished. Yep. And it wasn't... I know where you're going with the comparison. I just don't know that it's the same type of experience. Well, here's the thing. It's not it, a Bethesda it, product. It's not I'm Fallout not making 4 or 76. That or direct comparison. Yeah. And what Phil is referring to is CD Projekt Red and Cyberpunk 2077. What yeah. I'm going to bring up is the fact that Anthem came out February 22nd, 2019. They, mm-hmm. last year in December, said, we are committed to fixing this game. And then a few days ago, they said, no, we're not anymore. Tough yep. luck. Um, yep. Why has the media, why have, quote-unquote, journalists, why have the consumers not taken pitchforks to Bioware's front office yeah. and demanded more because that's happening with CD Projekt Red. CD Projekt Red. Yeah. It's not fair. It really isn't because I, I can tell you, I had parked my you know, truck full of internet rage about Anthem a while ago. But when I saw the announcement that it was gone, I felt like unparking it. Like I felt like there's going to be hell to pay on the internet and Shockingly, my feeds didn't largely reflect that at all, right? And that is the exact question that I had in my head because you look at CD Projekt Red and the amount of attacks that that company is enduring and just even over last week's news that the patch is going to be delayed because, gosh, guess what? When somebody hacks your network and encrypts all your drives, it affects your workflow. Like. It's just amazing to me that there's people flying off the handle, like downright rage tweeting and, and, and saying just unspeakable things about these developers when those guys are the guys that are working very hard, or people working very hard to make this game happen, and they will. And here's my here's thing. Here's the funny thing. Like EA, I know EA's full of crap. I know Bioware's full of crap. 
But I also know CD Projekt Red isn't full of crap. As long as we don't cut their legs off, right? They're going to fix Cyberpunk. That I have no doubt about. The same way I did have doubts about No Man's Sky because I just didn't know the developer and what the developer is capable of. But I know that if that developer ever makes another game that does that has a similar type of entry and a similar type of reaction, I do know that with some degree of consumer confidence, I know that they're going to fix it. Here's I get that feeling about CD Projekt Red. They're going to fix it. Here's my thing. One thing is the consumers and the internet rage that you see on Twitter and Facebook and, you know, social media. But I question, and I'm calling IGN out, I'm calling GameSpot out, I'm calling all these websites out because they're adding to this. They're the ones seeding this rage among consumers. Why yep. is Bio, and I know the answer, why is Bioware getting a pass? Why is Why aren't hmm. there so many articles calling Bioware out, calling Bioware liars, calling Bioware what they are, full of shit. But yet, we have a company in CD Projekt Red who has committed to fixing things, who has shown in the past that they will fix things, who has shown in the past that they're willing to work with people, you know? Like, this is a company that lets you mod their games up the wazoo and they want you to they want you to have fun with it but why is bioware getting a free pass but cd project red they're the assholes they're the they're the ones who you shouldn't put money into they're the ones who are ruining video games today phil explain that to me ign well it's because explain that to me GameSpot. explain that to it... me all these websites and and uh, reviewers, I'm calling all of you people out at this point because now it's getting ridiculous. Yeah, and and to me, it's the difference is EA has a PR department. EA has other products that these people and venues maybe uh, value, whereas CD Projekt Red is a company that's trying to be a AAA company, um, and probably has a much different scaled. PR department and response department. They're they're trying to honestly approach a topic and using transparency to do it versus spin. And we just got spun by EA. We just got lied to for two years and they finally decided to call call it a day and just let us know they were full of crap. Yep. And yep. as consumers, we have to give feedback to number one these news articles or these these places that are calling their work journalism, we have to let them know that we as consumers don't stand for that. And we also have to, the next time EA brings a product to market, maybe think twice about it, right? Like maybe think, vote with your money. That's the only way that these companies are going to learn ethics because all they care about is the ethics of profit when it comes to video games. Yep. And that's... That's the big issue to me. And when you're looking at the games industry, I'm not going to say that they're all in somebody's pocket or whatever, but we know that there's in the game reviewer community and everything like that, as we've discussed with Tyler in the past, there's just not a lot of, of balanced reporting or reviewing going on because there, there are things that we've all seen the stories over the years where companies were leveraging and blacklisting and, doing all kinds of things to basically downvote reviewers that they didn't agree with, right? 
So Ubisoft would blacklist you because you talked badly about their newest IP or whatever. And that's that's what's going on here, in my opinion, is that they're saying, well, just let this go. And they're they're also piggybacking on two years of death, like two years of a product that's died on the vine. Yep. All right. right. If they did this months after the launch of Anthem, then there would be pitchforks. Yeah. All right. So this is what we're going to talk about now before we go. And I want to kind of get your thoughts on on some of these things, Phil. So Stadia has gotten a lot of attention, most of it negative, most of it negative because of some of the things that we've been talking about with the gaming industry, with the quote-unquote gaming media, the gaming journalists. Um, You know, Stadia is not a perfect system. You've talked about some of the issues you've had with Stadia. But now, you know, you have more articles about the negative impact, the shortfalls and the lies and the this and that um you know so and now to the point where you know there might be court cases there might be lawsuits um and i'm really referring to the 4k and the streaming quality of stadia so the issue with the 4k stuff it is a real issue I don't know that it's lawsuit issue, but it is an issue. And in, in terms of there's not a lot of um, transparency on the disclosure of a game as to what resolution it's going to stream in, whether you're paying uh, a paid Stadia Pro user or not. And I think it was worse in the early days. Like, it, it's it, it, there was a story that came out this week, and I know it's a lot of negative stuff, but yeah, you, you actually have to read the content like we were talking about. And then you're going to see... A different narrative possibly in some of the reporting that is going on and one of the things that one of the devs had said was when they got on the stadia's team they found out that it felt like a beta product like it wasn't fully fleshed out and that but by that i mean there is no search it's kind of a joke within the stadia community right that google the company that basically created the search bar right and 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 has conquered the internet with its search capability. Its gaming service, you can't search out a game. <laughs> like you have to list the games by alphabetical order, or by price point, or apply whatever filter in order. And it's just it's confusing when the catalog presents itself that way. So that is a legitimate issue. I'm surprised that Google hasn't fixed it. I'm, yeah, it, it's. At the same time, like this past month has been really difficult for Stadia uh, users in the sense that I'm not going to say everybody in the Stadia community, as I found out on Twitter today, uh, you can point out or give shade to uh, Google for some transgressions and there's going to be people who still defend it. And that's okay. You're allowed to. I, I welcome that. But to me, Google don't help themselves. They can issue simple statements all they want, but they need to do it repetitively. Issuing it once and just saying Stadia is not dead after going through and killing Stadia Studios, it gets even more confusing now because this Sky Climbers game that's being developed, Sky Climbers got confirmed this week as coming to Stadia. So it was kind of weird that in the community and uh, Sunny at uh, uh, Sunny Games, Sunny Cloud Games or whatever, he points us out on his daily show that. They launched and they got a lot of backing on a Kickstarter for this game, but they had no assurances that it was actually going to be on Stadia. 
So there's some red flags about taking advantage of the community in that way. I'm glad it's coming to Stadia and it's certified. But Stadia, they went on to even further point out that they might be entering into the Stadia program that would be getting exclusive funding for development from Google, which we thought that that was dead because we thought it was part of the Stadia Studio development. So now it's really confusing. There's, there's, you know, disputing facts coming out of the same company. They're saying it's dead, then they're not killing off which programs, and we don't know what's dead, what what went out in the garbage, and what's still being harbored or preserved as a company. And that's what I want the transparency about from Google, because these articles are being created in the vacuum of that. They're simply being speculated upon that Kojima was going to be making a Google Stadia game and stuff like this. Now, we found out that... Google's come forward and said there's absolutely no no truth to this whatsoever. All right. But the fact is, is that that article existed because it was believable. And that's yep. the problem that Google has is if you want this press to stop, if you want the Stadia community to stop being attacked, then you have to step up as a company and start setting the wrongs right when it comes to what's being reported out there. Right. And that's that's the big issue. It's it's when we see stuff like the week before they shut down the Stadia studio, the boss guy, Phil, is sending out an email saying everybody's doing a great job. Yeah. And then the next week, guess what? You're turn you're unemployed now. Yeah. That's see, this is the ridiculous. flip side to my earlier rant, and this is where my rant is now gonna be directed towards Google. You guys need to stop giving these this conflicting news. You have to get your shit in order. And stay consistent and control your own messaging because then, you know, you can't blame the journalist, um, you know, constantly giving negative reports because they're reporting on what they hear. And what they hear is very conflicting reports from Google itself. So this is where, you know, you're kind of seeing this entire, how the entire mechanism, how the entire robot, the machine works, you know, where a company needs to be open and honest and um you know let let everyone know what's going on and you know and 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 open themselves up to questions so that they can answer and then there's the responsible journalism that needs to happen to report things properly and not have everything be doom and gloom editorial yeah and and i think this reeks of a bigger move by google and even the the CEO guy Phil Spencer Phil whatever from from Stadia's end, I don't think that he necessarily knew or well he said he did so never mind. It it you're right. It just needs they need to get on side with that. They need to try and quash some of this stuff because what's happening now is there was an article last week that came out because this this month's new game is by Pixel Junk. And it's a Stadia exclusive. All right. And it looks like it's going to be a good game. I forget the title of it. I I didn't prep that. But the game drops tomorrow on Stadia. And the funny thing is, is that somebody wrote an article saying, this is a great game, but it's on Stadia. Yeah. That was literally the title. And I'm like, how often do you see a title like, oh, look, here's a PlayStation exclusive, uh, New Horizons, you know, 
blah blah blah. It, it's a great game, but it's only on 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 so PlayStation. Many, yeah. yeah, that's ridiculous. Like, come on, that's it, it, the, you sit there the week before you run an article that says there's no exclusives on Stadia, so Stadia sucks, and then the next week they announce an exclusive and they go, yeah, well, it sucks because it's on Stadia. I'm like, you can't, it's an agenda. Yeah, at the end of the day, there is a certain agenda, there is certain biases with the journalism, but, you know, Google needs to be a little more open and a little more transparent, a little more honest, for lack of a better word, and, you know, control their messaging better, you know, and this just goes to show you that from a consumer point of view, you know, this is why people get angry, because we don't know what the hell's actually going on. There just needs to be more responsibility and accountability on all fronts, whether it be yep. the companies themselves. We need to hold them accountable, like the BioWares, like the CD Projekt Reds. We also need to hold the publishers and, and the umbrella corporations accountable, like Sony, like Microsoft, like Google. But we also have to hold the journalism and reporting accountable because there's a lot of there's a foul stench coming from there right now and it's getting worse and worse yep it is and it like in in specific to this google situation they've they've let the air in for this type of speculation and it's their responsibility to manage their branding and their their information more appropriately and that's yep. that's the problem. It's I it was disheartening to me to see some of the guys who really contribute large into the Stadia community with their uh, YouTube channels, podcasts, stuff like that, to actually hear it in their voices where they were scared about the service's survivability. And that was very disheartening to me uh, to hear the real fear over that closure. Yeah. And. You know that's that's the worst part is is there's a threat in in there's a there's a threat the, the poison is in the water and we all think we can taste it and it's up to Google to make that go away. Yeah, and it's up to you know as as small as we are, you know, I just want to get all the points of view out there and that's what I hope we'll be able to do not just in the gaming industry but with other points in tech and pop culture. Um, so, you know, hopefully that's what our listeners want. That seems to be the direction that they like us going into. So we're going to continue this bigger conversation of responsible, being just responsible in tech, responsible in pop culture. Um, so, again, let us know what you think. You can you can find many ways to get a hold of us. Phil, tell our listeners how they can get a hold of us. Certainly. You can find us at www.itscanonpodcast.com. You can track us down on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at It's Canon Podcast. You can email us at show at itscanonpodcast.com. You can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. Anywhere you find podcasts, you're going to find the It's Canon Podcast. And if you like what you hear, just make sure that you click subscribe so you get notified whenever we're basically dropping all of our crazy episodes. And uh, if it's possible on your platform to leave a rate and review, please do, because it helps us out greatly, puts us in the algorithm. We're battling the algorithm, everybody. Exactly. So this week, we're going to be dropping our craft beer episode. You can learn all things about craft beer. You can learn about the process. You can learn about the business side of things. You can learn about the beer itself. It's going to be a fun conversation. Hopefully, Tyler will be back next week. But we are planning 
and moving forward with our WandaVision special. So that should be dropping in the next couple weeks once the show is done. Uh, so anytime after next week, we will give you the definitive date on when that's dropping. Um, a lot of good stuff is coming up. As always, I want to thank everyone for listening it honestly means the world to me because this is the it's canon podcast the podcast where we talk about all things pop culture the show where we talk about all things comics movies video games tv shows toys lego muppets everything and everything and the best part of it all of it all is that it's all in canon he's phil i'm boris i'm phil he's boris good night Good night.